the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Welcome to this Farm Advisory podcast and I'm Fiona Burnett uh, from Scotland's Rural College where I'm Professor of Applied Plant Pathology and today we're going to be looking at some of the the trials uh, and trial results from this season so really giving a feel for what's new, what's done well and I'm joined today by um, three colleagues. Um, So first of all Dr Neil Havis who heads up the crop a protection carbon and soils unit. So I think Neil today will particularly be talking about the, the crop protection aspects of your work. I've got senior consultant Peter Lindsay with me who will give us a reality check as to how the trials align with his experiences around the, the country and working with farmers. And then lastly, I've got Pierre Alain Bofindu with me who manages our huge um, trial programme. So Pierre, maybe starting with you um, and just thinking a little bit about, you know, how, you know, the extent of the trial programme that you're managing and and what the main crops and locations are for you. Yes, certainly, Fiona. And the the, the trials are big, are big things for the for the SIUC. And we are, uh, we are basically operating our service from three different locations. We, we have our main base in the central belt, just near Edinburgh. Uh, we are also located in the north uh, in Aberdeen. And we have our last unit um, in Hertshire, just, uh, just below Glasgow. And uh, the idea is to really to cover most of the arable uh, area in, uh, in Scotland. And, um, and we, uh, we operate then on the main, on the main crop uh, produced, um, produced. So uh, we uh, we operate uh, we operate mostly on cereals and uh, plus orchidrape. That's uh, uh, it's um, it's an amount of uh, nine uh, almost yeah nine thousand plots per year. Uh, we have also a huge potatoes program. Uh, it's about fifteen hundred plots, and we have as well a big a big chunk of. Uh, uh, grass trials that represent uh, um, yeah more than six thousand plots a year. That's in terms of uh, in terms of volume. That's yeah. That must keep you fairly busy, Pierre. Um, and obviously, the field trials are vital to that process of getting new varieties out and pesticides approved. But I mean, what are the main research questions in your trials, Pierre? Is it you know new actives? new crops what type of thing are you testing yeah that's that's a good question and uh, the, basically our, we can split our program in two um, main parts uh, the first being the research studies so for that we are uh, we are really uh, performing trials on uh, innovative agronomical technique uh, such as uh, um, Crop being sown and mixed together, uh, like uh, peas and cereals, for example. That's uh, that's one of the trials we had last year. Also, uh, the technique of uh, grazing the cereals over the winter with a sheep, and uh, and yes, we have we have such kind of uh, such kind of um, 
it represents a big part of our program with uh, research, pure research studies. And uh, the other big part, the second one being the uh, commercial project. And for that, we are, it's, um, we, we are working with all the, the main actors on the, on the, on the industry, uh, being the, the cedar, the breeder, and uh, the chemistry, the chemistry um, industry. And uh, for that, we participate very actively on the recommended list that, uh, for, that's for the EHDB. It's uh, very well known. And, um, and, uh, and yes, we, uh, for that, we work over, um, over 40 uh, commercial, uh, commercial projects for, uh, for years last season. And, uh, and it's, uh, we cover a very large range of, uh, of topic, but, uh, mostly it's about uh, reducing the amount of, uh, of, of product we use and, uh, the, of course, the problematic of, uh, the pesticide resistance. So we, uh, we can, uh, we, we can see now, uh, such kind, such kind of a new type of product emerge, such as uh, biocontrol. Um, biocontrol product. It's a kind of organic based pesticide and uh, such kind of uh, new uh, technology. Yeah, so that's a huge spread right through from, you know, really quite blue sky science right through to the, the very applied um, at the other end of the spectrum there. So maybe when we, we start thinking about the results from last year, you know, Peter, every season has its challenges. So you know, can you maybe walk us through what the last season was like, just to give us a bit of context? So take us from autumn drilling back in 2020 um, and, you know, tell us how crops looked or how they were impacted. Uh, yeah. Um, the season started late summer, early autumn was good, good weather, good drilling conditions to, to get um, winter crops sown into. Uh, until the 3rd of October and certainly around here we got in excess of 120 mils of rain in 36 hours uh, so anything that had been recently sown um, was challenged quite considerably to get through the ground and a lot of uh, fields that were destined to go into wheat after potatoes uh, never actually made it into wheat um, after the cuddle of getting the potatoes out of the ground uh, so that there was plenty of fields that didn't actually get sown in wheat that should have done um, then the winter time it was generally okay but then we had a fairly hard end to it with a lot of snow and then a lot of uh, frosts which actually cleaned up disease levels pretty well uh, acted as a good um, T0 the spring drilling season Again, it was it was good conditions. Um, crops were established well, uh, but then April it was continued to be cold and dry. It just never warmed up. Crops were slow to get to get moving, um, and certainly on the various establishment systems that I'm, I was looking at, um, stuff that was direct drilled really struggled to get going. Whereas stuff that was ploughed and drilled um, moved away uh, a bit quicker. Um, May then turned wet, um, so yeah, the conditions there were a bit more challenging um, to the crops, but generally there was enough spray days, etc., to keep up with, with getting sprays on. Uh, June, July, 
was fairly dry uh, and disease pressure kind of reduced again, but uh, it was just getting to the verge of being too dry and crops were beginning to look for rain. Uh, but I think we did get the rain just in the nick of time uh, to save the yields and then harvest. I think most farmers would take this harvest again. Uh, it was generally quite straightforward and quite easy. Um, moisture contents were quite low. We didn't have to spend a lot on drying crops uh, and yields on the whole were, were relatively good. So yeah, from that point of view, I think it was a relatively straightforward season. Yeah, I mean, as ever, the average weather tells us very little and we had those, you know, prolonged dry bits followed by prolonged wet bits. But yeah, you're right. I mean, that um, dry spell over harvest was an absolute bonus. Um, Neil, if we're maybe, I know your team's thinking very much about, you know, the drive towards more integrated practices and Pierre, you know, referenced earlier the work on, you know, some biological alternatives to pesticides. But maybe you could just tell us a little bit about what you're testing with your team and, and you know, the, the wider systems work that you engage with. Yep. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, so historically, with my background in crop protection, we've been looking at some of these compounds that Pierre mentioned. So things like resistant solicitors that actually activate defence mechanisms in the crop plants and how they can be incorporated into into integrated pest management systems. But we're also starting to think and in, in the crossover trials with colleagues that look more at crop physiology, nitrogen use efficiency, and also into soil health. So it's tying up all the aspects of the research within the department. So looking at things like such as soil health going forward, such as nitrogen inputs, which is going to be a hot topic going forward, what impact that has on crop physiology. And we know the impact of crop growth and canopy can affect disease pressure as well. So it's tying everything together. So we initially we started looking at new schemes for integrated pest management, but we're, we're, it's evolving into integrated crop management and with the impact of looking more at soils and looking at the bigger scale, it's almost integrated farm management. So it's really stepping up a bigger scale all the time. Yeah, and that maybe fits nicely with Peter's observations about, you know, minimum tillage crops and mm -hmm. um, that whole idea that with healthier soils, you get healthier crops that yep. you know, need fewer inputs. And it certainly the way that um, policy is probably going to push as well with, you know, baseline soil testing and, you know, IPM plans yeah. becoming becoming the norm. That, that's really useful context, Neil. So what I was thinking now is almost if we run through our trial results crop by crop and, you know, spring barley's our biggest crop in Scotland. So, you know, looking at the variety trial results from last year, um, we can see that actually clearly the season suited the, the spring barley's in trial. And we were almost quarter of a tonne up on the on the average yields. Um, so 7.78 tonnes a hectare. Um, which was above the five-year average of 7.46. So that was encouraging. We also saw that the Scottish and the, the North region trials were amongst the highest yielding trials in the UK. And I think that variability between trial sites is something we might come back to. And then um, 
speaking to my colleague Steve Hood and just asking him about the varieties that had done particularly well last year, he particularly highlighted that it had been a really good year for Laureate and for Firefox and for SY Tungsten. Um, and he also pointed that the feed variety Fairway had had a very good season. Um, but then it's always interesting which ones are the, the risers and which ones are the sinkers. So I think from last year, he also points out that um, we had a couple of underperforming varieties compared to their long-term averages. Um, and they were RGT Planet and a new brewing variety, SY Splendor, which you know was a little disappointing in our trials. Um, so, I mean, maybe turning to you first, Pierre, I mean, managing those trials, what were the main challenges to the spring barley crop in the trials this year? You know, was it that kind of switch between dry and wet weather that Peter highlighted? The, the challenge really this year, Fiona, was to, to guarantee um, the, the right amount of disease pressure mm-hmm. uh, because, because most of the programme uh, on trial spring barley is about uh, fungicide uh, performance. We need to guarantee the, that, that the disease are present, basically, and mm-hmm. the right disease. So if, uh, if we have a study targeting uh, Rhincosporium or uh, Ramularia, we, we, we need, to, uh, we need to, to gather the condition for having a disease on time and having the time, therefore, to assess the performance of uh, the different uh, uh, treatments. And as you mentioned previously, this year was uh, uh, very challenging because of, uh, uh, I don't want to say the drought, but the, the dryness of the weather um, during, this, uh, during this key uh, period of, of growth. So between, uh, between end of tillering, basically, and, uh, and, the, and the, here's formation. So that, that, uh, that was a dry period and, um, and we, we observed relatively late appearance compared to the other years of uh, the, the, the disease I, I mentioned. For instance, yeah, malaria, rhincosporium, we kind of also talked about uh, net blotch. So that appears uh, late and therefore uh, we had a very little window to, uh, to, um, to, um, to catch uh, the results. And so we didn't produce a lot of foliar uh, data, I would say, this, uh, this year. That was uh, probably the main challenge. Yeah. And that, I mean, the sort of increase in, in spring barley yields in the trials last year, Peter, does that kind of align with what you saw commercially with growers? Uh, not entirely. Commercially, I think our yields were ever so slightly down on the previous year, but mainly because the previous year was probably an exceptionally high yield uh, in comparison. So I think people were generally happy with their yields this year, but they weren't quite as good as what they might have been last year. Um, the main challenge um, is, is quite funny listening to Pierre, he's trying to guarantee disease uh, in his trials. Um, I'm trying to keep disease out. Uh, so the main challenge for me was um, having the first season without chlorothalonil that we were challenged by Ramularia uh, and, and whether um, we should be using Fulpit or not using Fulpit. Uh, so that was probably the, the main challenge for us uh, at, at that time. 
Yeah, and that that will get right on to you, Neil, um, and that Rambo area point that Peter's just raised. So, yeah, it came in late. It may have been a factor of, you know, some of that moisture in, in May. Um, but we're starting to see the trial results come in now. So, yeah, let's just meet that um, chlorothalnophobic question straight on. Anything promising or anything? So... Yeah, it's been as 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 we know, Fiona. It's been a hot topic and, and a burning question. The 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 value of Falpa in in a, a program for spring ball. But what's coming through in the trials and what's come through speaking to colleagues in other countries is two applications of Falpa seem to be doing something in terms of giving disease control. Uh, we've seen it in our trials as well. The Falpa's actually quite to my surprise, I have to admit, because you know we've we've had it in funny side performance trials and it's. It's not really shown itself to its best of its ability, but it managed to show something this year. So based on that, I think I can see the value of adding Falpa in to the barley disease programs. We've known its its greatest strength was always in wheat, but it seems to be giving something to barley. As long as growers are aware, don't expect the similar kind of control you would have seen from CTL because it's just not in that league it it sits where it does. The best fungicide we have for amylated control is Revistar at the moment, and we see some activity from Fulpit and some activity from Proline, but that's where we are at the moment. Luckily, there seems to be some new chemistry coming down the line in the fungicide performance trials, which should give us some reason for optimism in terms of ramillaria control as well. Yeah, no, those results from this year look quite encouraging that... You know, we know the established chemistry, um, Proline and, and even the newer Revistar, um, you know, give us some control of Ramularia, but it is it is exciting to get foresight of new stuff arriving a couple of seasons down the line from now, which, which does look good. Um, I mean, is there anything new on the biological or elicitor front at all help us out in the spring barleys? <laughs> We have been waiting. So one of the products which is approved for use in wheat, which are the licitors, is Laminarm, which is produced by UPL. And they have been working on a registration for barley, but we're still waiting for that. But that would be potentially something which could be added in. And we've done a lot of trials now looking at it as a potential t naught spray and as a seed treatment. So there's there's some data that could be quite encouraging to incorporate that. Given that we're losing fungicides and given that the the big drive towards using alternatives, it could be an option for barley growers going forward. Yeah, and then maybe before we turn away from spring barley and go on to the next crop, I mean, any kind of final thoughts or messages on spring barley for next year, Neil? I think it's, it's as Peter said, we are very much at the mercy of of the growing conditions. 2020 was a bumper year for yields because the disease pressure was so low. I could relatively, it's been relatively low this year until late in the season. Uh, certainly didn't get the challenge from Rhynchosporium that we've seen. Pierre touched on the net blotch and that's just one thing I wanted to highlight for anybody who's growing propino. We, we've saw more net blotch in the propino uh, trials this year than I think I've ever seen. And that wasn't just our trials, because I'll got to look around some other trials as well. So that would be the only heads up I would give to growers if they have propino. It's just, and if they're home saving seed as well, if they did have net blotch in it last year, think about a seed treatment. 
Do you think that net blotch is coming through then primarily as a seaborne problem? I, I think so. I, I did walk some of the trails. I was asked by HDB to look at some of their uh, recommended list trails with uh, other organisations as well. And I didn't have to be told which was the Propino plot because you just walk straight up to it and that's Propino yeah. because it had net blotch in it. And it can only have come from the seed because none of the other varieties were showing the same symptoms. Yeah, so there's probably a good message there about testing seed and knowing what you're yeah. working with up front. Absolutely. Be aware of what you're carrying from one season to the next if you're thinking about home seed and seed. That's great. So maybe if we turn to the winter barley crops now, um, we're again in the trials. Um, we were actually below the almost half a, a tonne below the five year average. So we were averaging about 9.36 tonnes. Um, and the five-year average is nine point eight one. So clearly, something in the you know the trials, the the winter barley crops were were not enjoying. Um, when we looked, that was for the treated yields. And when we looked at the untreated yields, um, they were pretty much on par and only just slightly below the five-year average. So that there was a much bigger difference in the in the treated yields than than those controlled untreated um, plots. But I think the other thing to highlight was a lot of site-to-site variation in yield between, you know, different trial sites um, with some high-yielding and low-yielding trials right across the UK. But again, most of the high-yielding trials tended to be in the north and and the south of the country suffered more. And again, that could have been the the dry conditions. Um, And maybe if we just picked out a couple of the the best-performing ones to to give a, you know, a steer... um, KWS Tardis, um, one of the two row varieties, was nicely up compared to the control varieties. But most of the other two rows either underperformed or were very similar to to their five year averages. So that was the one that that really stood out. Um, Pierre, I mean, that kind of slightly disappointing yield in the winter barleys. Do you think that was the dry spring or was it something else that, that hit yield potential there? I, I would um, I, I would say that the dry uh, spring really plays a major uh, major role on that, and uh, making uh, making the crop died off pretty early in the season. The lack of moisture during uh, during this uh, this key period of feeding the grain, yeah, definitely played a, a, b- a big role uh, in our trial. Certainly, after that can be probably um, tempered by the soil structure. Uh, so when we when we set up our trial program, basically we want to cover a different kind of, of soil, of course. So the variety and the, the product program might uh, might uh, might give some slight different results associated to uh, to the soil structure. Yeah. yeah. And Peter, I think I mean, how does that align with what you saw commercially? Um, were growers pleased or disappointed with winter barley yields last year? Was it variable like the trials? Uh, no, I think winter barley crops uh, here, which is Perthshire and Angus, I'm really looking at, uh, the, the yields were actually very good. Um, and I think largely down to we, we got the moisture in the nick of time uh, to, to help the yields. And the straw yields were phenomenal. Um because at the same time when we're looking at these crops, we were looking at spring barley crops with 
that looked very short at that time, um, but they actually came good come harvest as well. Um, so no, the winter barleys, uh, again, I, I, most farmers I think would say that their yields were up on, on last year um, for the winter barley uh, in this area, but I, th I think it's mostly down to the, the moisture that came at the at the time that we, we got here. Yeah, just ni nicely timed. Um, so, Neil, maybe thinking about the disease that was in the, the winter barley trials, I mean, any thoughts there about what might have contributed to, to reduced yields? And then, you know, we can turn to what the best um, crop protection strategies are in winter mm -hmm. barley as well. What what we usually look, expect to see in a winter barley trials, Fiona, is Rhynchosporium moving up uh, the canopy. As Pia mentioned, the dry spell checked it at some of the sites, but one of our sites was quite sheltered and actually proved to be highly susceptible to a lot of disease, and that could possibly have affected the yields there as well. In fact, for a pathologist, it was almost like pick, pick all the major diseases you can think of and we could find them all, including yellow rust, which was really a, a once in a two decade occurrence at spectacular yellow rust levels at one of the site. So I think that possibly contributed to some of the, the yield loss that we saw at some of our trail sites as well. Yeah. No, I mean, that yellow rust in winter barley is not a, an everyday occurrence. So No, it's not. Yeah. You must have been a happy pathologist. Uh, quite a stunned pathologist, even for me. I mean, to take photographs of, of barley leaves, which are practically yellow in colour, is, is, is quite something. <laughs> And anything coming through from the, the trials and the chemistry last year? Um, I know, again, as with the spring barley, we've got new products slightly further down the line. But, you know, was the established chemistry more or less on par? I think the established chemistry was holding its own last year in, in the trials. It wasn't, it wasn't such a challenge for them uh, as perhaps maybe the late season ramularia was in the spring crops. But I think that we got the levels of control we expected yeah. from the major fungicides. Yeah, no, and at least for some of those diseases that you've listed, we still have a good range of, you know, azole, STHI, strobe chemistry in play, yeah. which is good. Okay, we like good news stories. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll maybe finish then with talking about the, the winter wheat results. Um, so, Pierre, where, whereabouts were our wheat variety sites that SREC was managing last year? Our main sites uh, were located in East Lothian. Yes. And uh, it's, it's, we are talking about a big, a huge variety uh, platform over there with many, many of plots. We tested a lot of, uh, a lot of different varieties with, um, with a good yield result for winter, winter wheat. Uh, some of the uh, variety uh, I checked, uh, yeah, reach uh, 14 uh, ton per hectare. Yeah. So it's pretty good, even for this site. <laughs> yes, that's cracking East Lothian yeah. yields for you. Um, looking at the average, you know, controls um, from variety trials from last year, the, the wheat seemed to be pretty much on par, very close to its five-year average. Um, so that average being um, 10.83 uh, and the five-year average being 10.81. So you really couldn't squeeze between those two values. But again, as with the other crops, there was a lot of site-to-site -site variation with the North Region sites being above the UK average. So, you know, again, you've you've highlighted those high yields 
at the East Lothian site there. And then I think, you know, if we could pick out a few of the, you know, better performing varieties, um, LG Skyscraper had a, a good year, as did LG Spotlight and Elation. So they were all above the um, the control varieties. Um, and most of the other soft biscuit or distilling varieties yielded just under their long-term averages. So it was really those three that, you know, popped out as, you know, having a good year. And then just to pick on a couple of hard wheat uh, varieties, SY and Cider um, did extremely well in trials. So we, we work on this, you know, if the controls are 100%, SY and Cider was at 107. So that was, you know, really quite a bump. And Gleam was another one that had a good year at 105. Um, so, yeah, some interesting results there on the variety front. And Neil, you've talked about yellow rust in the in the barley, so it's just a surprise. It's more of a standard feature in the wheat. So we know that yellow rust was an issue in some of the coastal um, sites yeah. last year. But, yeah, talk us through so, the disease and the trials and how it played out for you. So, again, as we said, because Septoria is similar to Rhynchosporium and being splashborn, that, that dry spell that we we enjoyed really checked that disease pressure. So when we did see the septoria pressure, it tended to come later in the season. Peter mentioned the rain we had in May. So that sparked the disease moving back up the canopy. So we got some good results in terms of disease control from that. You mentioned yellow rust. It wasn't such a an issue at some of the sites. I mentioned the site where we had the, the yellow rust in the, the winter barley. And funnily enough, it also had the yellow rust in the the winter wheat showing that the, the pathogen has its favoured environmental conditions. Obviously, we know it likes high humidity and relatively cool temperatures, so that, that site was obviously ideal for that pathogen. But in general, the dry spell just checked that septoria movement enough to let the, the crops grow away and, and reach that yield potential. Yeah, I mean, it's such an art to judge, you know, early season, it looked very low um, mm -hmm. disease pressure. And, you know, of course, the correct answer is that we react to that and you, you know, you treat with lower doses, but the, the risk mm -hmm. that it then turns wet and, you know, disease appears. Yeah, um, I, I, absolutely. And, and, and many of your listeners will, will be aware of the, the new schemes and the new companies that are looking at the DNA of the different pathogens. In the crop, so Bayer and some of the other companies are looking. So again, that will give you some indication and some guide to how you manage your crop. But you need to be have one eye on the weather forecast as well, because low DNA levels will be fine as long as with forecast is dry as well. Yeah. But if you looked last year, so DNA picked up in your crop, and then you saw the forecast for May not looking so good, you would you would again reconsider what your options were going to be in terms of fungicide input. No, but it's a nice idea that we can begin to build more confidence in the situations where we can go low and yep. take advantage of, of lower disease levels. Absolutely. And looking again at, you know, sort of the new products that we've, you know, been able to have in trials, so things like Univoc and, and Revastar, you know, how were they doing? How was, you know, was there anything that stood out in the, the fungicide trials? So Uni Univoc, what we've seen is, is, is strong on wheat. And what we've mentioned, Fulpit has always had a, a more of a place in, in wheat. 
But yeah, Revstar has done a reasonable job. But I think we were, again we're seeing some new chemistry which may be coming down the line, which is potentially stronger than that in terms of septoria control. So that's something for uh, growers to be aware of and then keep their eye out for the, the new fungicides that are coming down the line. Yeah, interesting. And again, that's sort of much less contention about having full put in the in the wheat trials. And I was actually quite encouraged, Neil, looking at the, you know, the efficacy is mm-hmm. not quite what chlorothalonil was. You know, often it's around the 50% mark. But actually the yields last year where we had full put we're pretty much mm-hmm. we're we're still in the luxury position of being allowed to include chlorothalonil for research purposes, <laughs> and then bin the green. But yield wise, they were pretty much on a par. So I was encouraged by that mm-hmm. yield response. Um, yeah, that that's it's always been the case in and wheat. There's been far much less of a gap between the two of the two multi sites. So it's good to see that, and it's good to see it can make a a good contribution to. Y- protecting your yield as well yeah no and clearly it has its role to play in terms of fungicide resistance so Mm -hmm. you know it's early doors for knowing what septoria strains we had last year but i think the indications are the kind of continued drift in sdhi um, mutations um Mm -hmm. and obviously we you know we have the underlying issues with um with these all you know, drifting in terms of performance mm-hmm. against Septoria too. Yeah. Um, so that multi site just brings something else into play. And then you're right to raise the, the, the point of Univoc as well, because this is a brand new mode of action. Yeah. So to protect that, we need to have as many strong, strongish partners to go with it as we can. So Fall Pit would be ideal in that situation. Yeah. No, thanks, Neil. I was going to go back and highlight Univoc. So that active. Mm you know, previously known as, as in a trek where we know it's, um, you know, potentially quite high risk of resistance. So really important mm-hmm. that we retain that good efficacy. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter, we talked there about kind of cutting back on fungicides in a dry, low disease season. So, you know, again, your experience with growers, did they cut back on fungicides and, and would they do it again next year if they you know, went down that line? Um, well, again, this was the first year without the chlorothalonil, uh, so it was a wee bit of a suck it and see approach. Um, so I, apart from the T0, there was no real pressure for a T0 um, fungicide, so it was quite an easy one to, to not do. Um, but then... I was. I certainly didn't cut back uh, too much on chemical use, and there was a bit of talk at the time when the dry weather came about not doing a T2. Um, unfortunately, it's not something that I um, would support. Once you start the, the the disease, keeping it clean, you don't wait till you see disease before you do something about it. And I did go and see some problematic fields later on in the season where they had cut back and I wouldn't have said that was the right thing to have done. So I wouldn't tend to do that. Um, I know there was more uh, people trying some of the new chemistry um, and comparing it to the more standard chemistry with the extra cost involved. I think they were pretty disappointed um, that wouldn't justify the the extra spend. possibly down to the lower disease pressure 
at the time. I don't know, but uh, that was just um, a few look-sees in the field just to try try things out. Mm-hmm. No, but there's a logic to that. If it wasn't the highest pressure, you you don't really differentiate the, you know, the extra quality of of those newer products. Thanks. Pierre, maybe if we just turn to you, I know you're still embroiled in drilling um, some of the trials for this year, but how is the 21-22 trial season starting out? And is there anything particularly interesting that you're putting in um, for people to look at next year? Well, Fiona, uh, the, the year started uh, started very well. I, uh, I can say, and uh, we, we already have some uh, old seed rape uh, plots looking very big and uh, looking huge and very well established. Um, it was uh, it has been sown on time with the right condition, and it was been uh, it has been the same for all uh, uh, for all, uh, winter barley and winter wheat uh, plots, uh, both looking uh, both looking very very good and very well established already thanks to the to the to the mild temperature and a good moisture uh, level and uh, and yes it's already uh, a quite exciting uh, start for the for the season as we are looking to uh, to uh, to test a new type of uh, nitrogen uh, fertilizer uh, we are really we, are, we look forward to uh, to that as well we uh, we uh, we are establishing uh, two um, to a to a wheat screen, uh, that uh, that it's particularly exciting for us, um, as we are uh, as we are um, as we are looking to to uh, to lay out an herbicide uh, protocol on a on a band of uh, different uh, different weeds, artificially uh, established, and so um, yes, we uh, we we look uh, we we'll look forward to see uh, to see the outcome of that. Yeah. Yeah, the weed screens are always a very visual thing to look at and good for our open days and demonstrations. Okay, Peter, before we wind up, I mean, have you kind of any final thoughts or key actions for people that, you know, are coming out of our trial results from this year or from your experience in the field? Uh, Yeah, well, obviously from the trials, the, 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 the main thing that comes out of that is, is variety choice um, on, on the, the, the harvest results and well whilst we've mostly committed to what we're establishing in the autumn but um, we'll s- still go over the spring spring barley results uh, and take take what we can out of those um, but the, the the crucial thing that people everyone is talking about at the minute is, is fertilizer and how much do we need can we reduce by um or, or, or what else can we do and i know we've got trials looking at foliar feeding of nitrogen and things like that as well so anything that we've got looking at at particularly um fertilizer usage with uh, the current high prices i think will come right to the fore uh, through this winter that's really interesting peter thanks and Neil, any final last comments on crop protection issues for for next season? So again, it'll be we we as we've kind of touched on, we're almost at the mercy of the season in terms of the disease pressure that it throws up. But again, we'll be monitoring the efficacy of the existing uh, fungicide options, but also looking at the any new products that might be coming along as well. 
and we hope to be starting a new programme of research for the Scottish Government, which will aim at widening our search in terms of biologicals and elicitors on different crops. And again, Peter's touched on the issue about fertilisers, seeing how they perform in, in different um, crops, which have different uh, fertiliser inputs as well, because that's going to be a big burning question going forward. So that's what we hope to start on next year. Yeah, no, and that link between um, how a, you know a, a crop is fertilised and, and its nutritional mm. levels and the, and the plant health interactions mm. are a really interesting area as yeah. well. Um, I was just going to add to to that, Neil, that you know people will be able to hear more about the detailed trial results at the at the winter roadshows that we'll be running um, for the Farm Advisory Service and in partnership with the HDB. So. Mm. Um, people can watch for information on those, but they'll be in, in January, um, as is is the New Year tradition for us. Yeah, um, and then we can go into more detail from the, the trial results and, and, and show some graphs and some figures yep. from the trials. Lots to pour over there. Yep. Thank you all so much. That was that was a really good run through the, the trial results for this year and a, a few steers and messages for next year. So... Thank you for everybody who joined and I I hope you'll listen to others in this um, CropCast series.